Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another edition of the Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast. Today, looking at Mid-South Wrestling Television from September 25th, 1982, in the Irish McNeil Boys Club in Shreveport, Louisiana. It was taped on September 15th, 1982. And before we get going any further, I'm the great Brian Last, and I'm very happy to be joined by my friend and yours. He's with us each and every time, but more importantly, he's on Booking the Territory a few times a week, and that is Mike Mills. Mike, this is a pretty good episode of Mid-South, I think. I think so, too. It's um, some wild stuff at the very end, I guess, is what, what kind of really sets things off. And, you know, there's the, the Lumberjack match in the middle of it. So we got a pretty consistent episode all the way through with some nice little things going on. And, I, you know, I'll be honest with you, I we are getting close to one of my favorite times of Mid-South. So it's kind of building. It's still continuing to build towards that. And that's what I'm looking forward to most as we jump into this week's episode. Well, that's right, Mike. And of course, we want to mention that this show is hosted by Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts this week. And once again, because this is part of the same taping as last week's episode, no Reese Bowden, promoter Jack Curtis is once again the ring announcer. And I kind of like Jack Curtis in the ring announcer role, I have to say. He, he's different and pretty good. You know, you, you miss the you miss the things with Reeser where he doesn't know what's going on and he's kind of clueless and he makes the smirk and he looks at the camera and all that good stuff. But, you know. Jack Curtis, he's pretty good, man. He's a, he's a nice, solid ring announcer. I do agree with you there. Let's go to the show open right now. Cowboy Bill Watts with Boyd Pierce, who is kind of dressed down for Boyd Pierce. Well, well, actually, let's before we play this, Mike, we should talk about that. He's just wearing a black blazer with a colorful shirt. He's got a colorful shirt, black blazer. I can't tell what's on the patch, though. Uh it's a little hard to tell. I can't quite read it. A little blurry. We don't have this HD back in the day, so really hard to tell. But, I mean, he really is dressed down. Now, if he were to take that jacket off, we probably don't think he's dressed down by because of the colorful shirt behind it. But just looking at the blazer, it's not Boyd-esque when it comes to a blazer because that blazer is definitely uh, – I mean, that blazer is definitely just your run-of-the-mill standard black, maybe navy, hard to tell, but uh, still a darker color blazer. But, uh, yeah, it, it's not Boyd-esque. It's not colorful. Well, let's see if this opening is Boyd-esque. Let's now go to this. Cowboy Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, and we have an exciting card. It'll be lumberjack-style match. It'll be wrestlers around the ring to make sure the contestants remain inside. Inside the ring will be Colonel Buck Robley and 454-pound one-man gang. Also, you'll see in action Ted DiBiase and Hacksaw Dugan in a tag team match. Also, the Junkyard Dog is here, Mr. Rassing 2, Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch. It all adds up to an hour of excitement. And the man to tell you about it, Cowboy Bill Watts. Well, thank you, Boyd. And you know, as Junkyard Dog says, you got to bring some to get some. You don't go to the ring like a cabbage. And Colonel Buck Robley's not going into that lumberjack match that way either. The stipulations read that if Robley can beat the one-man gang in Lumberjack Rules match here today on TV, that next week he gets Skandar Akbar in the ring. So maybe... If the little luck and the creeks don't rise and Colonel Robley can pull off this tremendous mis- mismatch seemingly in, in size and weight and strength, that we'll get a showdown between him and Skandar Akbar. But, of course, Akbar has been a former North American champion, so even when you have a showdown with him, you've got a tough road to hoe. And the one-man gang is a powerful, powerful man. A lot of excitement. The Junkyard Dog will be here, DiBiase and Hacksaw Dugan. And uh, we talked earlier about some stars that are en route to the Mid-South area. 
And you can always tell when Superdome time's starting to click. Thanksgiving night will be the next big Superdome. I know you'll be there, Boyd Pierce. You never miss them. Never missed a one. Well, here's another individual that's coming to Mid-South because I think he wants to try it all for size, and the Superdome may be the apple hanging out there. Again, we'll show you Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Let's watch that now. Well, there it is, Mike. They're starting to build up the Superdome show in two months. We have two months now to get ready for the big Superdome show for Thanksgiving. And once again, we get the Kamala video in Jerry Jarrett's backyard that we talked about last week on the show. Do you have a preference with Kamala, either K-I-M-A-L-A or K-A-M-A-L-A? I I like the K-A, but I think it's all on your perspective. I know a lot of people remember it as K-I first. I feel like I didn't pay as close close attention to it, and I feel like the first spelling I saw was K-A, even though that may be wrong. So for me, I like K-A, but I understand when there are folks that go, oh, no, it's not spelled K-A, it's spelled K-I. Uh, I can't remember who I was talking to recently about that because they said they, they like the K-I version. But give me the K-A, give me the K-I. At the end of the day, I'm getting Kamala, and he's still scaring the crap out of me as a seven-year-old. So it <laughs> really matters the most to me. Like I said, we get the Kamala promo video, and then out of that, we get a recap of the events last week between Mr. Wrestling 2 and the Grappler, or the man under the mask pretending to be the Grappler, who we would now find out here on this week's show, is the Grappler's new tag team partner, Grappler 1 and 2, the debut of the tag team version of the Grapplers here this week, Mike. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they get into it, they're going to wrestle Johnny Rich and Tim Horner, and... um which I think is kind of cool because, I mean, if, if you got Dirty White Boy under the under there uh, as one of the grapplers. So, you know, obviously I'm sure he knows Johnny Rich and Tim Horner very well at this stage of the game. So, no, good to see them getting into um, tag action. And, um, you know, I, I, w- I was trying to remember as a kid how confused this made me but that you still that you had not only one but two of them. Um, it's fun to look back at it, though, and as you see two grapplers, though, because here's the other side of it, there being two grapplers. I. Lynn Denton was a, a hell of a wrestler. If you're going to pick somebody to be grappler number two, as I think about it as an adult, man, Tony Anthony seems like the perfect fit as I think more about it as a, as an older wrestling fan. I don't know. You got any thoughts on that or what? I think Tony Anthony was a perfect fit, but the interesting thing, similar to what you just said about your thoughts when you first saw this, the fans there here in the second hour of this television taping, it's a very similar reaction. It's kind of a muted reaction because the grappler had been a major star in Mid-South Wrestling for a long time. Long-time North American champion. I think he held it for maybe a year, like in 1980. So the grappler has long been established as being this dominant heel and this major heel character. And then all of a sudden, in the previous hour of the same television taping, there's someone who the fans right away know isn't the grappler. And now here they are teaming up. So the fans seem a little bit confused by... Maybe confused isn't the right word, but they're kind of wondering what's going on. There may be something to that, too. And then also there could be a little bit to, you know, Horner's relatively new in the territory. Uh, Rich is as well. So, you know, I don't know. Maybe that's part of it, too. You got you got two, you know, not well-known baby faces and then they're just enhancement talents at this stage. Uh, that might be part of it, too. But. I don't know. There there could be there could be something to that part of this as well as you're talking about the fans kind of just like, oh, what do we think of this? You know, and that's a good point, though, because, I mean, the grappler was a, a major star in the territory, you know, North American champion for a long time. Uh, it probably I don't want to say confused them, but the fans are still trying to make heads and tails of what's going on here. Yeah, they don't know if this is a one time thing or if this is going to be a permanent thing going forward. Of course, they would find yeah. that out in the future. But as you said, the match is the grapplers 
Grappler 1 and 2 versus Tim Horner and Johnny Rich. Let's play a little bit of audio from this match. Cowboy Bill Watts talking about Johnny Rich wrestling on TBS and comparing that to wrestling in Mid-South. Well, this is a very interesting match because we know what the grappler number one, if you can call him that, what he's capable of. He's a former North American champion. His partner is yet unknown and untried because certainly you couldn't tell the way he got manhandled by wrestling too. An indication that he's not a top competitor because Wrestling 2 is one of the top international stars in wrestling today. Fast-paced match, quick men out there. Johnny Rich down, but he moves. Johnny Rich was telling me last week that he's always wanted to come to the Mid-South area and try it on. He says, you know, he wrestles on the Superstation, WTBS in Atlanta, and a lot of people around the country think that's really the top wrestling, but he says everybody in wrestling business says Mid-South is where you got to prove yourself. Just like they say up there, Paul Orndorff has done well. Oh, tremendous, tremendous move by Tim Horner. The grappler number two shows he's got some stuff that he's made of too. Like Johnny Rich said, he said, Paul Orndorff, when he gets up there and he does well on Atlanta TV, but all he talks about is the toughest in the world is here in Mid-South. The Samoans were run out of the Mid-South area, and they're up there doing well. So it seems like when guys come up there and they impress everybody on, in wrestling in Atlanta, that where they've cut their teeth and said it's the toughest place in the world is right here in the Mid-South, and he wanted to come try it on for size, and he found out competition like Ted DiBiase, North American champion, is tough. A little bit of audio there from Bill Watts. You know, one thing that's noticeable about this match, Mike, is that even though it's the first time the grapplers have teamed up, they actually are doing good as a team. They're doing maneuvers together, quick tags. It doesn't seem like, oh, this is the first time. It's a little awkward. It seems pretty natural. I agree. I think, and that's why part of what I said earlier when I said, you know, Tony Anthony being a, a, a like the perfect fit for being, you know, grappler number two, if we're going to call him that, I think it worked out well because he really he was a great compliment to the grappler as a team. I mean, they, they look good together. They look like they belong together. They didn't, it didn't look like just two guys thrown together for the sake of, Oh, we need two guys that kind of look alike when we put mask on and the same tights. It looked like actually two guys who knew how to not only work as one, but work as two and have that good relationship as a part of a team. So I agree. I thought there was something to that. I wanted to, I wanted to mention too, Brian, you know, Watts has given his thoughts on Johnny Ritz and praising mid South in comparison to TBS. And, you know, Watts even mentions how the Samoans were, were run out of mid South. So, I had kind of said this a while back on the show. I, again, I don't think Watts was burying the Atlanta TV in a superstation as much as he's putting over his own promotion here. And then one other thing about that, I thought about this when I was listening to Ricardo Coleman's segment on the most recent 605 when Ricardo was talking Mid-South Wrestling and JYD. We were talking, uh, or he had mentioned cable, you know, cable television. So uh, in in the New Orleans area, at least, and I don't know about through the rest of the territory, but we definitely I personally definitely didn't have cable in 82. And I, I don't remember anyone, at least that I knew, having cable earlier than like 84 or so. Now, that's not saying that there was cable before 84, but to give some context to the discussions about TBS that we're having here, I don't personally remember cable before 84. Um, and I just wanted to point that out because. All this talk that Watts is saying about TBS, I mean, it's Ricardo had mentioned it. I don't know how many 
people throughout the territory are, are even seeing this TVS TV. So uh, just a point of reference that I want to make as we uh, continue, uh, you know, comparing timelines and timeframes and what Watts is saying about TBS and versus what's going on in Mid-South at this point. Grappler one pins Tim Horner after, I don't know what I would call it, a shoulder drop into a pin. Rick Ferreira, by the way, the referee, I don't know if I said that before. And I guess the other big note from this match is that the grappler does the Mr. Wrestling 2 knee lift. So teasing that program still that, hey, I pretended I was you. And last week I had you against my new partner. I'm going to use your finisher. So he does do the knee lift there, teasing that a little more. Mike, from there we get our next match. A rare singles match here on TV for the Junkyard Dog versus Billy the Star Child Star, or as Jack Curtis calls him, the Star Child Billy Stars. First time we've heard his nickname first. With Alfred Neely as the referee, I'm going to play some audio from this match. Any thoughts or any notes, Mike? Uh, it is. Uh, I'm going to make this reference again later in the show, but when JYD's music hits, another one bites his dust. It is Club Mid-South up in that son of a gun as the fans are partying and cheering and loving the dog's entrance to the ring. That's all I really wanted to say other than the dog will make quick work of uh, the star child, Billy Starr, as Jack Curtis said, as we uh, as we get this match going. It's a relatively quick match, so let's play the audio from this match because Bill Watts says a few interesting things, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Well, I don't think there's a doubt in anybody's mind when the music starts. As you saw there, the fans get to rocking and rolling. JYD, the big thump. The man who, Houston, Texas, probably the fourth largest city in the whole United States, signed a tremendous amount of petitions, crowning king of wrestling. Paul Bosch, the veteran and unique promoter of Houston, Texas, said Junkyard Dog is probably the most exciting wrestler that he's seen in many, many years. A lot of you will also remember Mr. USA, Tony Atlas. He'll be making an appearance in very short order here in Mid-South Wrestling. Tony just completed a contest for Mr. America in New York City. Looks better than ever. Lots of excitement. You saw Kamala, the Ugandan giant. Last week we saw the Mongolian stomper managed by Don Carson. We'll be seeing some more of him later today. But right now, you got the man of the hour. You got the man that they all come gunning for. Anywhere he is, the junkyard dog, and there goes right there the big thump. And Billy Starr just got an adjustment. One, two, three, and the junkyard dog, he cares not whether you're a star child, a thundercloud, or a lightning rod. He gains a victory, and we'll be back. Mr. Wrestling 2 in action after this word. Mike, what the hell did Boyd just say? He doesn't care if you're a star child, a thundercloud, or <laughs> what? Yeah, I just, I don't know if he's trying to rhyme or what, or just trying to make the point that JYD doesn't care. He, he's going to thump you down. I don't know. I don't know what, uh, that's boy trying to sound a little snazzy right there. A couple of interesting things that Watts says, obviously, Tony Atlas, he's building up that he's coming in, Mongolian Stomper. We had a clip on last week's show of the Mongolian Stomper in Georgia, and Kamala, we had Kamala's clip earlier today, so. They are starting to build up new talent that they expect to be in the territory, and therefore the Superdome show. Of course, we'll see what happens with all that. And also, the mention of Houston Wrestling and Paul Bosch, and that's going to be a growing relationship. We'll talk a little bit more about that later in the show. But a couple interesting things there, but this is how you present the Junkyard Dog in a singles match on TV. Less than a minute and a half, in and out, people pop into his music, you don't see any weakness. That's how you present the Junkyard Dog. 
Yeah, that's how you present them. And, you know, here's something else to think about when you say that's how you present them. So remember, Billy Starr, he's he's been having – he hasn't won, but he's having decent matches as a heel. I mean, you've seen him for, for weeks and months now. He goes in there and he mixes it up with some of the guys, and he's he, he has decent performances. I mean, again, enhancement talent, but still. Well, JYD goes in there and just makes quick work of a guy who, you know, is having five, six minute matches with uh, some of the other guys on the roster. So, yeah, that means that means a lot. I mean, it just shows you how big of a star your 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 top baby face is with JYD. JYD having this quick match early in the show would play into events later on in the show, but we'll get there shortly. Coming out of that match, Mike, our next match, Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Larry Clark with Rick Ferreira as the referee. We'll play some audio in a moment, but Larry Clark does not know what he's doing in the ring. This is the worst no. we've seen someone in the ring since maybe Hacksaw Higgins. We kind of made reference to this, but like, okay. And what Brian's saying too, I mean, we, we talked about how he really didn't know how to lock up. I think it was on the last time he was, he, he had a match last week against Iron just- Mike Sharp. Yeah. So like at the very beginning, he, he goes into this, uh, they go into collar and elbow and then, he goes and he puts him in a headlock from the collar and elbow. And if you're watching along with us, look at his feet as he's got <laughs> wrestling two in a collar in a in a headlock. He's just standing straight up. He's got no base. It just looks like, man, this dude just took a couple of bumps and learned how to maybe do that as far as wrestling goes. And that's pretty much it. And he, I mean, he's literally straight up in the air, standing in that headlock. And it's just one sign that, you know, he's just may not know what's going on. So agree. He, he's, he just doesn't know how to wrestle at this point. And you could tell wrestling too is getting frustrated. I think at one point he goes for like a hip toss and Larry Clark just doesn't know what to do. And wrestling too has to deal with it, but we'll play some audio here. Here's the cowboy talking about Mr. Wrestling too. And, how he is as a veteran, his age, and comparing him to other athletes of similar age. You hear the crowd when they see wrestling too, they go two, 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 and they just pick it up and pick it up. Wrestling too, an exciting man, a tough, rugged man. Might compare him to George Blanda that had such a great and long span career in the National Football League. Or Gaylord Perry, the pitcher that is, everybody says, well, you're too old, you can't do it anymore, and then he goes out. And he leads the team in strikeouts and victories. Well, wrestling, too, is one of those unique individuals, without a doubt. Nobody knows for sure the age, but they know for, by checking the record books what his career has spanned, and they keep wondering. But when you're in that ring with him, you know good and well that he hasn't lost any of his steam or any of his tenacity, any of his agility, any of his heart. He's one of those unique individuals, one of those rare breed of people that can just continue to compete. Maybe do the elasticity of his ligament structure where he, he doesn't get that big critical injury. But it all gets down sooner or later to that heart. He's got a heart that'll carry him. Well, there we hear Cowboy Bill Watts comparing him to Gaylord Perry. Uh, for the record, Gaylord Perry threw a spitball. He's in the Hall of Fame, of course, but Gaylord Perry threw a spitball. But it's really cool because he threw a spitball and then guys started getting it in their heads. He threw it and then he wouldn't throw it, but they would expect it. So it's kind of like wrestling psychology there. Gaylord Perry mm-hmm. on the man would mess with the hitters because they knew he was scuffing the ball. They expected him to cheat, and sometimes he did, and sometimes he didn't. So there's some wrestling psychology there, and of course comparing him to Mr. Wrestling 2. And a little play on words there. I don't know if Watts did it intentionally, talking about the elasticity of the ligaments on Mr. Wrestling 2. And of course, early in his career, under his real name, he was Johnny Rubberman Walker. 
So uh, any notes you have, Mike? Oh, uh, no, that's a nice observation about the uh, elasticity of the joints in a, a kind of a play on words on the earlier days of Mr. Wrestling 2, Johnny Walker. I hadn't thought of that or realized it. So uh, interesting stuff to, you know, nonetheless. Uh, the only other thing I did have was when 2 hits the big knee lift, I will say this. Uh, for a guy who was seemed to be inexperienced, Larry Walker, that is, uh, 2 kind of nailed him with the knee lift. And um, that did look good. I will say that much. That looked good. And he sold that and got pinned. But there was, I think Mr. Wrestling 2 was getting frustrated because he didn't sell much. I mean, he would go down, but he would pop back up pretty quickly. During yeah. And like, even before the knee lift, I can tell you something that happened too. He shoots off Larry Clark to give him a backdrop. And it, in, you can tell too is like God. I'm literally having to fling this guy around, and that will blow you up in itself because you're just pushing resistance or pulling resistance at that point. Rather than you know Larry Clark, Larry going with him, like two, you can see it. He shoots him off right before that knee lift, and it's like, damn, dude, just can can you just run the ropes? Um, so and it he looks a little frustrated when he does that. I I I saw it. it you can't, it's hard to see because two's got a mask on, so obviously you can't see his facial expressions well at all. But uh, I did see that. Um, but yeah, the knee lift didn't look good. But yeah, he he if he was getting frustrated, he didn't bury the guy and and beat the hell out of him like uh, Paul Orndorff did when Larry Higgins got in the back and he slapped a you know slapped the piss out of him. Mr. Wrestling 2 wins with his million-dollar knee lift. And from there, we get our next match. This is a big one. A lumberjack match. Colonel Buck Robley versus the one-man gang with General Skandar Akbar. And of course, if Buck Robley wins, he gets a match next week on Mid-South Wrestling with General Skandar Akbar. This lumberjack match is interesting, Mike, because we see so many of them, like in the WWF or wherever it may be, where... A guy gets thrown to the floor and all the heels beat up the baby face and the baby faces just try to, you know, throw the guys back in and play it fair. And you don't get that here. You don't get the heels like ganging up on a baby face. You even get some points where the heels and the baby faces work together to throw the other guy back in the ring. And I think, okay, so I would love to know what Bill Watts' thoughts were. Like, if you were to ask him this question next time you interview him, or who knows, maybe we have him on here one day. Uh, not promising anything, uh, but, you know, because it's just, but, like, I would want to know, like, from the perspective of Watts, because I, I can remember there's a lot of old timers that I know in the wrestling business, and they would say, hey, when you're on the outside, do not make this about you. This is about the guys that are in the ring. So, like, the heels and faces on the outside, they shouldn't be fighting. They shouldn't be when they get close to each other, making contact. It should be about, yes, they're lumberjacks, but these guys need to be in the ring. So, if one comes out, you put them back in. You don't make it a spectacle about you and the guy. You still make it about the two guys in the ring. And I feel like when I watch the way these lumberjacks act here, and again, in the case where, like, Look, gang early on throws Robley out on the babyface side. And you know what they do? They roll him back in. They don't make it about themselves. They roll it back in. Um, gang throws him out to where the heels are. The heels don't just start putting boots to him. They all kind of work together. Even the faces, some of them, and they come over there and they roll him back in. And I think that pro I, I don't know this, and I've never heard Watts talk about this in any type of shoot interview or, or interview he's done on a podcast. I'm betting Watts said, Look, guys, don't make it about you out there. This is about gang and Robley, and just get them back in the ring, and that's that. Don't make the show about you. So th th I felt that was kind of going on here. 
I think that's a reasonable way to expect Bill Watts to treat this, and, and that does seem plausible here. Uh, Mike, another note here before we play some audio of the finish. This is a little interesting tidbit I got a kick out of. Dick Murdoch is one of the Lumberjacks, and at ringside he's wearing an all-Japan pro wrestling shirt. Bill Watts even says it on commentary. And why that's interesting is he had already jumped from all Japan a few years before this. He was wrestling currently for New Japan. When he was going on those Japanese tours that Bill Watts talks about for this previous several months on commentary, that's New Japan. But here he is wearing an All Japan shirt at ringside. Little thing there, I think maybe Inoki might have been annoyed with if he actually saw Mid-South Wrestling Television, but I got a (laughs) kick out of that. Let's play a little bit of audio here. If I didn't mention it before, Alfred Neely is the referee. Here's the finish of this match once again. Colonel Buck Robley versus the one-man gang with Lumberjack Rules. Against somebody with that much mass, it takes so much strength out of you. The only man that's been able to pick the one-man gang up and just thump him is the junkyard dog. But Buck's on his back. Buck's up on his back. He's got the sleeper. This is the one hold that can equalize it all for Buck. The gang knows it. So he fast got to the ropes and dumped Buck out on the floor. Buck went clear to the concrete floor. The lumberjacks are putting him in. Buck Robley's in. He, I don't know how bad that hurt him going all the way to the floor. The one-man gang body slamming him. And I think Buck is Buck looks like he's in a lot of pain and a lot of trouble right now. The one-man gang. Oh, 454 pounds. And Buck got out of the way. Both men struggling to get to their feet. This battle's taking a toll on them. Buck drop kicking the man. One man gang, his head hit that top turnbuckle. Buck's loading it. Buck's loading up that brace, and the one man gang's head took a shock into that buckle. The one man gang struggled to his feet, and Buck comes off with that brace. One, two, three, the whole crowd counted it, and Robley is one. Skandar Akbar will have to face him here next week. And it was a tremendous lumberjack style win for Buck Robley. We have outstanding tag team match coming up. When we return after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. couple notes, Mike, real quick. All the guys who worked at television taping, well, most of the guys who are at ringside, with the exception of the main event guys, Ted DiBiase, Hacksaw Duggan, Junkyard Dog, Mr. Olympia. They aren't ringside. I didn't see if Larry Clark was, actually. I got to go back and check to see if clumsy Larry Clark is at ringside also. But that's what's going on there. Also, when the one-man gang misses his splash, it's too telegraphed just because Buck Roby is so far away. So you know that there's almost no way he's going to get to him. Yeah, I mean, he was he's kind of in the middle of the ring, but he's not really. He's closer to the opposite turnbuckle, and gang goes off the second rope, and you could kind of see it coming, definitely. And, you know, it was what it was. Uh, gang still, I thought Gang looked as good as he could here because Gang took some nice, throughout this match, we, we really didn't talk about it, but Gang took some nice bumps, like over the top rope where he'd fly outside. And, you know, that's what I was looking for here. You know, when he did go outside, Gang's a big man. You know, it takes a lot of guys at these lumberjacks to, you know, pick him up and lift him back in. But uh, you you said it there, and we heard it in the audio. Gang misses the splash. Robley goes to the to the, to the outside, climbs to the top, comes off, hits him with the forearm in the head. Gang lays down one, two, three. Robley gets the win. So that leaves us next week where uh, Robley versus uh, Akbar. There you go. Coming out of that, our next match, we have Ted DiBiase, the North American champion, with Hacksaw Duggan, or Dugan, 
versus Jesse Barr and Vinnie Romeo with Rick Ferreira as the referee. During this match, Mike, Bill Watts talks about a few things. Once again, he mentions the Thanksgiving Superdome Spectacular that is coming up in a couple months. And he talks about Mid-South Wrestling now being in Houston. And I thought we've talked about this a little bit on previous shows, how this is around the period of time where Paul Bosch switches his allegiance from Southwest Wrestling and the booking office being run by Joe Blanchard to working with Mid-South Wrestling. And this is an interesting period of time in Houston wrestling history because Paul Bosch's wife passes away after a battle with cancer. Apparently, Paul Bosch was even having some health issues. And if you read Peter Burkholz's book, you find out that Paul Bosch was wanting to step down a little bit. He didn't want to do as much. He was getting to be an older guy, and he didn't have it in him. So Peter Burkholz took over the booking in Houston, and they were making a deal to sell a part of the office to Nick Bockwinkle, who had been coming in as the AWA champion and had a longstanding relationship with Paul Bosch going back decades. Bill Watts made an offer to buy in, and they realized that it may be a good deal because, A, Bill Watts wants to come into Houston and may have some problems. But secondly, Bill Watts has good wrestlers. He has a good television show. He has a good mind for the business. He has a successful promotion. Maybe this is someone we can work with. So around this period of time is when everything happens, and the Houston office becomes 33% owned by Paul Bosch, or maybe actually it's 33 and a third percent, 33 and a third owned by Bill Watts, 22% owned by Peter Burkholz, and the remaining 11% and change. Nick Bockwinkle. So those are the four partners in the Houston wrestling office starting at this point in 1982 going forward. I'd love to add something to that, but you wrapped that up pretty damn nicely uh, regarding the Houston wrestling office. And I will just to add, uh, if I can add one thing is you're right. The Mid-South wrestlers that were wrestling in Houston, I mean, they, they helped make it go. And I think Paul Bosch's observation on Bill Watts' successful promotion and what was going on down in Mid-South is a perfect one. And, you know, to think about it, Houston is such a short drive from like your main city in the territory. I call it the main city. I don't know. Some people may not agree with that, but it's so close to New Orleans. I mean, it's only, you know, five hour drive at the most. Uh, it, it made sense for them to have uh, some form of a working relationship. Ted DiBiase and Hacksaw Duggan win when DiBiase hits a power slam on Vinnie Romeo. And out of that, we get the beginning of a series of interesting events here on the program. Bill Watts and Boyd Pierce throw it to the ring because Ted DiBiase and Jim Duggan refuse to leave the ring. Let's listen to this audio right now. Well, Boyd Pierce, you saw earlier the Ugandan giant, Kamala. Also another one that's on the way to the Mid-South area. Managed by Don Carson is the Mongolian stomper, an impressive man, a former international heavyweight champion. And we're getting ready. But right now, Hacksaw Dugan and Ted DiBiase have never left the ring. They've been there through the whole commercial break. Now they're up there arguing at Jack Curtis. They're claiming that they want to settle the issue with Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia. Now, let's go to Jack Curtis in the ring and, and pick up on what's going on up there. You guys have got to go. We're okay. not going, man. No way. We're not going anywhere. I'll tell you what. We're tired of this inferior competition. We won the Mid-South Tag Team titles right here in this ring, and we lost them in the Mid-South Wrestling Office where the Mid-South officials give them back to them. Bring them on out here. Put them in the ring right here today. We'll settle it. We'll beat them again. Put them in the ring again. We'll beat them again. We're not scheduled now. We have another match. We're not going to leave. I don't care about that piece of paper. I don't care about that. I don't care about that piece of paper. I want Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia and another shot at the Mid-South Tag Team titles. Wait a minute. Here comes Mr. Olympia. Come on right in here. We want a piece of you. You and your stinking partner. Go get your Junkyard Dog. 
Look, where's your chicken look, partner? You know where he's at. He just had a match here. Why don't you shut up and listen a while instead of run your mouth like you always do? We got control over what the office or Miss South does. We didn't ask for the belts back. No, we didn't ask for the belts back. You know Junkyard Dog's taking a shower. You know he's taking a shower, Ted. You cry every time you lose a match. Don't tell me you didn't cry about the uh, You make me sick. He don't, makes don't, me don't sick. You want the You want a tag right now? I'll go get the belts. I'll go get the belts. I'll go get it. Hey, Jack Curtis, I got my tights. They're right in the car. I'll go get my tights. I'll go. Why don't you shut your mouth? Come on, we're waiting. Hey, I'll go get the dog. He's taking a shower. They won't leave me a few minutes. You just give me a few minutes to go get the dog. Boy, Pierce, these guys have just gotten out of hand. Mr. Olympia just said he'd go get his tights out of the car. He's not even dressed for in the ring. The dog, he said, was in the shower after a match. And these guys, he was still willing to go get the dog, and they were willing to settle the issue. But DiBiase and, DiBiase and Dugan are insane. There they've got him up in a reverse backbreaker. That's like a guillotine. DiBiase coming off that top on the Mr. Olympia's throat. Hacksaw Dugan putting the boots to him. Mr. Olympia could be seriously injured. The ring is filling up, and DiBiase and Dugan are getting out of there. Boyd Pierce, while we're trying to sort this all out and get it restored, let's go to that film clip we had earlier. The Mongolian Stomper and Don Carson from Tampa, Florida. Gordon Soley is the narrator in a handicapped tag team bout. Let's join that right now. We'll try to get all this settled here and be back. Let's go to that film clip right now. Okay, a couple things, Mike. First of all, this is a great segment. This is a really, really great segment. By the end of it, when the babyfaces run out to save Olympia, there are women jumping up and down with their hands in the air. I mean, it's really something to see, but this is one of those situations, I have to say, where Jack Curtis actually made this segment better. I don't think Reeser would have been able to do this as well because Jack Curtis sold the fact that we have a match, we have to get things going, and then when Olympia gets attacked by Duggan and DiBiase, after a really good back-and-forth exchange, just the facial reactions on DiBiase, the reactions of Duggan to everything Olympia is saying as he's trying to reason with them, Jack Curtis gets out of the ring like something really is going on that he doesn't want to get involved in. Reeser would not have been able to handle this as well. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that actually is a good point because of the way, you know, Jack kind of led the thing. Something else, too. You know, you got to remember, everyone, Olympia is a masked man. So while we can see DiBiase and Duggan's facial expressions and how, like, you know, they're perturbed and upset and and they're just sick of what happened here. I I wanted to point out that, you know, we don't hear from Olympia much and because, you know, we don't have local promos on these episodes. So we don't really hear from Olympia much. And. This is like one of the first times we hear Olympia cutting a promo, and I just felt like, you know, his vocal tone and his inflection on what he was saying, I really think that, like, really, really meant a lot because, you know, he's like, look, look, we'll go get the tights. I'll go get the dog, and we'll, we'll do this thing. We're not scared. You know, he just, the way he emphasized things throughout that, his portion of the promo, I thought really, you know, made it even better 
And you're right. The fans are reacting. They're like, come on, man. We want to see a fight. Heck yeah. Get all four of these guys in the ring. We want to see Dog and Olympia beat these two turds. And I don't mean turds. They're not turds as far as wrestlers. But we're tired of these guys causing havoc and just causing all these problems. Let's do this. Let's get this over with, man. And the fans are into it. And then it all breaks down. Like, you know, Olympia starts getting pounded on. They 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 hit him with, with, with a finisher or two. And then we've get we get uh I think it was Sharp, Robley, and Romeo and Barr. I think they're the ones who hit the ring to to make the save to chase off Duggan and DiBiase. Just a really, really good segment overall that the fans in the building are all into, man. And you know, we were into it at home too, man. This was a nice little segment. Coming out of that segment, we get the aforementioned clip once again, the Mongolian Stomper with Don Carson against two job guys who are unidentified. Nick Patrick, the referee. This is from the Atlanta Television Studios, not Tampa, which once again for the second week in a row, Bill Watts says here, uh, Gordon Soley is the commentator, and of course he is the commentator on Championship Wrestling from Florida as well. Maybe that's where the confusion comes from, but this is from Georgia. Once again, the Mongolian Stomper just destroying two guys to build up to his arrival in Mid-South Wrestling. But coming out of that, we have an update on everything that happened before that clip, a brief update, but let's play this right now. There you saw the Mongolian Stomper beat two men, and it's still in pandemonium here at the Irish McNeil Boys Club. The junkyard dog came out of the shower, went upstairs. They'd carried Mr. Olympia up there. Boyd, we don't know what's happening, but DiBiase and Dugan are back in the ring. They're challenging everybody. And we'll return right after this word from Mid-South Wrestling. Not only does Boyd's jacket stand out because it's just one color and it's pretty plain, I'm starting to think maybe it's not his jacket. I don't think it fits him. It looks like it's really too big for him. Did something happen? Did he get a stain on the jacket that he had and he had to borrow one from someone else? You're going to start a conspiracy theory now. Everybody's going to be, that's going to be the new Holy Grail. Let's find out what happened to Boyd's jacket. You know, the Holy Grail of wrestling is going to be, let's see what's going on with Boyd's jacket. Yeah, I don't know, man. Um, it does look kind of out of place, but you know, no, I wouldn't say that, Brian, like if, if we're going to be serious here for a second, because Boyd's going to do in the years to come a little bit of ring announcing too. And I can tell you some of the suits he wears and jackets during those ring announcing days, if I'm remembering correctly and visualizing it, they're like oversized and kind of big. So I don't, I don't know if that's part of it there. Coming out of that, we come back with the junkyard dog. Again, we talked about it, how they set everything up. He wrestled the match. So when Olympia needed him, or when Olympia went out there to confront DiBiase and Duggan, the dog couldn't be there. The dog was showering up after his 90-second match. But now the Junkyard Dog is ready. And now the Junkyard Dog is ready to confront DiBiase and Duggan. Let's play this audio now. I do want to make one note. We are going to put in here the original audio of the entrance so you can hear the pop, so you can hear the reaction, so you can hear Club Mid-South, as Mike Mills said it. We are doing this for historical purposes. So we're going to play the clean version of the audio, and then we're going to dub in the entrance so you could hear what's going on. Please note that it's not perfect audio because it's hard to find a really perfect quality copy of the original broadcast. We have a couple versions and this is the cleanest one we have. So we're going to play all this audio right now and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Ladies and gentlemen, there you see the ring and DiBiase and Dugan are out there. They've just storm rolled over Mr. Olympia, injured him. They won't leave the ring. They've issued challenges. We know the junkyard dog came out of the shower Word is in the dressing room, he's suiting back out for war. His music box has been brought out. We don't know who he's bringing. We don't know what's going on. It's not a sanctioned match. No referees in the ring, no announcer. But I'll guarantee you that JYD is coming with something. The people said, JYD, and who that? As the music. (laughs) 
and the junkyard dogs. This is not a sanctioned match. This is just personal. This is personal. This is when challenges have been thrown and you got no way out. And DiBiase and Dugan, you wanted it. You're going to get it. Alfred Neely, the referee, went out there to try to maintain some order in this situation. DiBiase and Dugan, seemingly a quick conference and a game plan. It's almost like a Texas rules match, all four men in the ring at the same time. Where else could you get this? A lumberjack match, Texas rules. We're running out of time, only two minutes of television time remaining. This is not a sanctioned bout. Matchmaker Grizzly Smith believes, though, that when you got a score to settle it, you settle it man-to-man right out there in the ring. Now they're on JYD. They got Captain Redneck out there. Looks like he's got a tooth knock loose. And DiBiase is really hammering the dog as Dugan, who's ble- bleeding from the nose and mouth. They're staying on him. They're trying to split him up. They figure if they can divide him, they can conquer him. The people are standing. Nobody's sat in their seat since this whole situation started. I don't know how much time happened in Boyd Pierce. Lots of things. Mid-South is just the most fantastic, the wildest area in pro wrestling today. Now you've seen why. Junkyard Dog and Captain Redneck are fighting back. They're having to suck it up and go. DBS and Dugan are pounding away. No control. One minute of air time left. One minute left. One minute left. Doggett and Murdoch setting the football stance. They show they play some pretty good line play. Now let's see what Hacksaw, former NFL great, what happens to him. He got double teamed. He tried to go over the top like you're busting a wedge, but he got wet right on his can. And Murdoch, Captain Redneck, who's had a personal score to settle with DiBiase. Ever since he found out what a double crosser, what a shallow person, what a disloyal person. And they're hammering him. Boyd Pierce, 15 seconds left. We'll stay with it to the bitter end. Next week, the Dream Machine will be here. Next week, Kamala, the Ugandan Giant. Ladies and gentlemen, it's out of control here. Till next week for Bill Watts, I'm Boyd Pearson. Goodbye, everybody, from Mid-South Wrestling. Ring that bell. It doesn't do any good. Okay, several things to talk about before we wrap things up, Mike. One, Bill Watts, three times, the loudest being the last time, yells, one minute left. I don't know who he was trying to signal, if it was Ralph Neely, Ralph Neely, if it was Alfred Neely, or if it was the guys actually wrestling the match, but I think that's what it was, because the first two times he says it, the third time he kind of yells it. Yeah, he may have been trying to make sure that everyone heard it that was in the ring just to kind of keep it going and not like powder out. And because, I mean, you know, the, the ref doesn't have an earpiece in or anything. So he's well before those days that that may have been it. You know, he didn't want them. He didn't want them to just stop, finally stop fighting and, and fight to the back or whatever before the cameras stop rolling for the episode. There's, there's probably something to that, as you mentioned it. If you ever want to see really great punches in a wrestling match, watch this match. Because the dog and Dick Murdoch throw fantastic punches all throughout this match. Yeah, they're making sure it looks, you know, that was Watts' thing, man. You better make this look real. Um, connect. 
You know, I, I don't I don't want to see pulling punches and you know, I don't I don't want this to look like we don't know what we're doing here. This needs to look like a fight. You think about the angle that's been going on with all these guys. This is they don't like each other. And you got to make it look like you don't like each other. So Let's let's beat the hell out of these guys. And, you know, you got to give DiBiase and Duggan credit here because they were on the ropes and, and not literally, but on the run the entire time JYD and Murdoch hit the ring. They are flailing around, flopping, bumping, making these guys look great. And it's what it needed to be as, as they go off air. And, you know, the fans, they're clamoring for this stuff. So they're loving it because, you know, they're two two baby faces here are putting it to the heels. We said really early on we would mention any time the Junkyard Dog did a timber fall, he does one here. He's battling with DiBiase, Duggan hits him from behind, and he does the very slow fall to the mat, the timber fall that he would do various times. I think this is now the third time in 1982 that we've seen the timber fall. And get ready for more. Let me be the spoiler. <laughs> also, <laughs> a couple other notes. On the screen before this match, the match that was built up that we didn't see, was going to be Dick Murdoch versus Kelly Kaniski. I think that's important to note. Also, there's a point where the dog and Murdoch do tackles on both guys. They do one on DiBiase, he goes over. They do one on Duggan, and he lands right on his head and neck, and it looks pretty bad. So it's funny you say that because I guess you got to give the perspective. You know, everybody knows Duggan's move when he hits people with the, with the tackle or the spear, like he would go down in a three-point stand. So the thing was – is they send off DiBiase first and they're going to, you know, do the, the and Murdoch and dog do the three point stance as DiBiase's coming off the ropes. And then they kind of hit him and they're hitting him in the gut. I think what Duggan was trying to do, cause DiBiase took it a little bit better. He kind of just got hit and that was it. I think what Duggan was trying to do was kind of almost take it like a, like a backdrop, but he just, I mean, they're not following through. All they are doing is is kind of, you know, hitting them with the tackle, and then that's it. So Duggan kind of half-heartedly goes to, like, flip over them, but he doesn't quite make it all the way, and he basically, I don't know if he landed on his head as much as he did his, his one of his shoulders. I think it was, like, his left shoulder that he hit on pretty hard. But, you know, to the point Watts always liked, it looked real and it looked good. And I mean, you really thought when you, if you really looked at that, when he hit, you're like, wow, that didn't feel good on his shoulder. But you know, it was real us back then. Interesting thing. Bill Watts says at the very end of the show is next week. He mentions Kamala, of course, but he says next week, the dream machine will be here. And I don't remember the dream machine coming in. Do you? Nope. <laughs> I got to find I, out what the story with that yeah. is. Yeah. He said it in, I, I'm for the life of me. Been a long time since I've watched these, and I gotta. I haven't watched the next one yet, or the one after that, or the one after that. And yeah, uh, I was like, huh? So good point, Brian. Well, with that, we wrap up another week of Mid South Wrestling Television. And as we do so, I want to remind you: you can follow me on Twitter at Great Brian Last. You can follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Twitter at Super Podcast. You can also follow the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network on Facebook and get information about each and every show as soon as they come out. Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. You can also listen to me on the 605 Super Podcast at 605pod.com or available wherever it is that you find your favorite podcast, classic wrestling talk, and wrestling humor. The 605 Super Podcast. Mike, how can the listeners stay in touch with you and booking the territory? 
You can stay in touch with me on Twitter at Mike504Saints, and you can listen to Booking the Territory twice per week at tinyurl.com slash bttpod, or just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. We are the unprofessional wrestling podcast for a reason. Language is very strong. We are very unprofessional and not politically correct in the least bit, but it's a fun show nonetheless, as myself, Hard Body Hopper, and Doc Turner have fun discussing NWA Saturday night on TBS, and we do that on Thursdays. That's when those shows debut and drop. And we talk Smoking Mountain Wrestling on Sunday nights. That's when those drop. So give us a listen. Again, just search Booking the Territory wherever you get your podcast from. And give me a follow on Twitter at Mike504Saints. And uh, Brian, another fun show. I really enjoyed it. Once again, thank you to everyone for all the five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. They continue to keep rolling in, and it really brings us a lot of joy as that helps out all those. Apple algorithms and whatnot on all these digital platforms that we are on. But uh, another fun show nonetheless, Brian. The Mid-South Wrestling Television Review Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For Mike Mills, I'm the great Brian Last. Tally-ho!